Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome to episode 104, Freight 360. Um, If you haven't subscribed, make sure you go ahead to wherever you're listening to podcasts. Take a look. If you're listening to this, likely you have subscribed. We've got a special guest with us today, Chris Jolly, who I will introduce in a moment, who's going to be sitting in for my colleague, Nate Cross. Wanted to congratulate Nate on his second son, Tucker Dominic John Cross, who was born on Monday. So Nate's going to be on uh, baby duty for the next week or two, but he should be back for next episode. But excited to dig in today, Chris. No, absolutely. Congrats, Nate and his family on that. That's huge. Yeah. Where, uh, where in the country are you, Chris? I am in sunny Arizona, where we have about five days of inclement weather and everything else is perfect. <laughs> I'm in sunny South Florida. It rains every day here this time of year, but it's only for like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. No, I mean, like we're kind of ending monsoon season right now in Phoenix and it's been actually pretty, there's been some, a lot of rain this, this last like 40 days, but a lot of rain for us, it's the same thing. Like it comes in and it's like 40 minutes and then it's done. So yeah, no complaints. Um, Quick sports update before we jump into it. The BMW championship was over the weekend. Patrick Canelay took the win in a, believe it was like a five hole playoff. Did you yeah, catch any of it, Chris? Yeah. Five or six hole playoff there. I love seeing, seeing him win that one out, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of those, those. Cause like he's, he's always competitive, but he does like, he's got a couple of wins on tour, but you know, he's not yeah. a, a, the most recognizable name. He's not a Rory or a DJ no. or anything like that. No. And he, I mean, and DeChambeau's had somewhat of a tough time. Rory actually came out and uh, defended did a, him. Yeah. Defended Bryson yeah. said, you know, he's getting a lot of flack because he's different. And he even made a point to say, you know, some of it was warranted. And I think it was, you know, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, he kind of lost his, lost his cool over his driver and made some derogatory remarks oh, and had yeah. to apologize to Cleveland or to Callaway, I think. No, um, but um, yeah, it's Cobra. Is who yep. who sponsors? Yeah, him. Cobra. Yeah, it, it did. But at the same time, though, like Cobra, like in all reality, Cobra pays you a lot of money. You exactly. know, like it's. I mean, it's not the club; it's the person swinging it. Otherwise, I would be a lot better at golf with the amount of money I've spent on clubs. <laughs> it's so funny. What's there's that saying in golf, right? Is it the Indian or the arrow? Like yeah. you always hear, right? I'm like, yeah, it's usually it's usually the guy swinging the club. Right. No, definitely. And I feel like a guy like Bryson, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I respect his game. Like he's good. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's the fact that he tries to justify a lot of the stuff that he's doing. That's clearly like clearly the guy takes too long to swing, you know, and like I'm a Kapka fan. I love Brooks Kapka. I like everything about Brooks Kapka is, you know, like that's why I love watching golf. And Mm -hmm. I thought their little feud was good for golf. Like, let's be honest. It was. They need it. It's so like, you know, the golf clap mentality. Now, screw that. Like we need people like Brooks and Bryson feuding on tour and and a little back and forth. Friendly competition to some degree. Yeah. Bryson brought a bunch to that on, too. He was openly mocking players. Like, let's be real. Like you can't. It, you know, it's just like you can't dish it out and not expect to take it. Let's be going to talk smack. Right. One hundred percent. Exactly. Anything? Uh, I know you're a pretty big NFL fan. I saw yeah. Cam Newton got cut this week. What was your take on it? 
My take on it is I think Bilicek did him a favor. I think the Patriots did Cam a favor in the sense where it's like, hey, listen, Max, our guy, we're going to roll with him probably sooner than we wanted to, but he must have proved enough in camp to where Bilicek was like, hey, listen, go latch on to somebody else if you want. And, you know, because like, here's the thing. Cam might be out of a job for like two weeks. Let's be real. The NFL is going to pick him up. Someone's going to pick him up either either in a backup role or he's going to be thrust into a starter role. And plus, like he got like three point five million. He had a two million dollar signing bonus and a one point five million dollar. Like he's not going to be in the in the in the soup lines. Exactly. Like he was like. And and, and when I say that, I mean, like the Patriots did right by him. Like he had guaranteed money in his contract, unlike a lot of guys who got cut over the last couple of days where they weren't on a guaranteed contract and they maybe made 40 grand Mm -hmm. through training camp. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, hey, we'll see what the season holds. Yeah. Who are you a big fan of anyway? Who's oh, your Packers, Packers fan through and through. I'm a Wisconsin boy, born and born and raised. And, you know, I'm we're, we're fortunate with our quarterback setup. I'm glad, you know, it's like, honestly, I'm glad Rodgers and the Packers at least came to an amicable return for at least this year. And, mm-hmm. you know, my like, here's my whole thing. Like when everything came out with Rodgers, I was like, all right, he's, earned this like let's be real you're yeah. a loyal employee you're like you're a loyal guy any one of us you know any one of us if we were if you're the sales and ops manager of a brokerage floor right now but your boss is hiring everybody and you have no say in who's hired and who's fired you're going to get frustrated with that absolutely i've been i mean i think yeah. you've been in that role i can tell you personally i have been frustrated with that very specific thing at times exactly so it's like a guy like rogers who is the face of the franchise who makes your organization hundreds of millions of dollars a year mm-hmm. let's be honest he deserves a seat at the table like yeah. his opinion deserves to be it's just like anyone like man I've oh, he's going to take the responsibility if it doesn't go well exactly. too right on it's, a week to week fault. I mean, 100%. And so it's like, it, but like a long story, I'm glad that he did it. And like, but I was also on the flip side. I'm like, listen, if he's dug in and he's not coming back, let's trade him. Let's get as much value in return. And let's think, cause it's like, don't get me wrong. I want him to play forever, but father time's undefeated. He's not going to be around for, you know, four, yep. maybe five more seasons. Let's stack up. Let's get five first round picks. Somebody would have given up five first round picks. For Somebody would have. Yeah. And let's, let's, let's capitalize. Why not? I mean, that was just my business, my business yep. mindset. Like I love Rogers as much as the next guy, but let's get, let's get a high ROI and let's move forward if he was out, but trade up if you can. Dude, exactly. Fortunately, they, they came to an agreement. I think he's going to finish in green Bay. I think if he came back this year, they're going to work everything out. It's going to be where he's going to finish his career, which I, at least I hope anyways. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I think more yeah. than likely. Well, no, before, it's going to be, yeah, I was going to say the NFL, man, it's going to be an interesting year this year with everything. And, you know, it's crazy to hear um, you're, you're in Florida, but you're not up in Jacksonville. It was crazy to see the Jaguars backtrack hard this morning because yesterday Urban Meyer came out and said that some decisions were made based off of a player's vaccine status or not. And then the Jaguars came out this morning, backtracked heavy really? on that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the NFLPA was all over that. They probably I'm sure the NFLPA president was in Jacksonville this morning. Like, what's up now? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's like we had a Blythe on last week. She's up in Jacksonville. She's a huge Jaguars fan. And insane. Yep. We'll see one way or the other. Well, before we jump into the interview portion and dig into some stuff, a word from our sponsor, D.A.T., 
taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Well, let's dig into it. I want to start, honestly, kind of like an interview, Chris. Um, I know a little bit about your background, but I don't know that all of our audience and listeners do. Tell us a little bit about your journey through freight, where you worked, and um, kind of how you got started in the industry. I got started in this industry when I was five years old. My, uh, I come from a family of truck drivers. When I say that, like my, mm-hmm. my great grandparents started a trucking company in uh, Mason City, Iowa, back in the 30s. And my old man drove, he was an owner op for about almost 40 years. And when I say I started when I was five years old, my first job was cleaning the rims on his semi when he'd come home. And what I would have figured it it was a great deal though for him. Like I'd go out and wash his rims. I got a dilly bar from Dairy Queen. So like I was super happy as a five-year-old because I got ice cream and he had at least a half-ass clean set of rims on his (laughs) truck because how much could a five-year-old do? And no, I mean, I've just, I've been around. That's an awesome story and an awesome memory. I mean, my, I grew up, my dad worked in the steel mills when I was that age. And I remember going with him, he drove the train around the yards. And I remember literally sitting on the train with him back then. So, I mean, yeah, that matters. Like those are formative years. Yeah. I got to ride along with my dad growing up. Like I I got to go on cross country trips with him over summer break from school. And even on weekends when he would run local freight around the uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, growing up, I used to ride along with him on the weekends, man. It was, it was some of my biggest, best memories growing up That's awesome. is spent, spending time in a truck and, you know, and, and, and honestly, like I still get excited when I see semis rolling down the freeway. Cause like my dad took a lot of pride in his rigs. Like they were yeah. chromed out, shiny, everything. And man, I see that still to this day, like the smell of diesel fuel to me is nostalgic. Like mm-hmm. if they could bottle that up into cologne, I would probably wear that. My fiance <laughs> would hate me, but I'd probably wear that overall. And yeah. And I just, you know, I stuck around with it. Um, when I was in college, I got a job loading trucks at a DC. Like they were the only ones that had a second shift. So it mm-hmm. worked around my skin. And plus it was, you know, $12 an hour loading trucks at Good night when, when you're in college. And yeah. Rural, yeah. So like I indirectly got my first start in it when I was 20 years old. So like I've been around this industry directly for 15 years now. I did that for five, uh, four years. And then I was in brokerage for, you know, I've been in the industry now for about 11 years. At that point, I was a freight broker for 10 of those years. I worked for one of the largest freight brokerages in North America. And then I worked for a pure startup company. A buddy of mine started a freight brokerage and I went in and, and started really grinding out over there. And that's where I learned how to really broker freight. When you're working for a pure startup, Nobody knows who you are. Carriers won't work with you because you have no credit and you had to build up. Like that's where you really learn to scrap. I think Building like a coming, small business. Hell yeah, yeah, it is. And it was like, you know, coming in and working for one of the largest providers out there. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy, but it's also like, you don't have to worry about credit insurance, carrier setups, you know, a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff because they had tried and true systems in place. You just passed it along to somebody else. They took care of it, sent you back the, the customer code or their carrier code and you were, you were good to go. And it's like, when you're out there working for a small company, I hear everything at that point, your compliance, your credit, your accounting, you name it. That's all part of your job. Let me ask you this. When you first went into brokerage, what made you um, 
I mean, why move towards the larger companies? Just curious. I mean, coming from a family of trucking companies and yeah. seeing the small business side firsthand, and there's a lot of pros and cons on each side where we can dig into, but what uh, what were some of the appealing things to the larger brokerage when you first got into it? Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I'm going to be honest. When I graduated college, I applied. My older brother lived out in Reno, Nevada, and my, my brother and sister-in-law did. Mm-hmm. And my brother-in-law's brother, who ironically is one of my best friends now, um, he his college roommate was a branch president for Osborne Hesse Logistics at the time. And I was just like, hey, I'm moving to Reno. I want to get into sales. I like transportation. Do you know anything? And he was like, yeah, let me connect you to my college roommate. And then I talked to them. I interviewed over the phone, man, for a carrier sales position. I had no idea. They hired me over the phone. And I packed up my truck in 2010 or 2011, packed up my truck and had it out West. I got hired over the phone. I slept on my brother's couch for like the first four months that I lived out there. And that's how I got my start in freight. I had no idea what I was getting into. And like, we were one of the very first acquisitions by XPO. So Mm -hmm. like we were a small brokerage until we were like one of the first acquisitions on XPO. And that's where I really got springboarded into a lot of the real business side of things. And when you're dealing with a publicly traded company and everything else, and there's a lot of bureaucracy that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to learn. There's so much to gain. And like, so like when we were coming up at, at XPO, like we were, we were in the real formative years of there. And like, I honestly, that, that it taught me so much. I have nothing negative to say about that. Like, you know, what's, what's funny is I've had a couple of people reach out. They're like, Hey, we want some dirt on them. I'm like, good luck. Go to somebody else. Like, I'm not, you're not, I know how the press works, man. They're not going to throw me under the bus. (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. Go find it from somebody else if you want it. And you know, that was the thing is like, I got to give a ton of props to, to Brad Jacobs when he He was in a fantastic job, dude, in the early days, like he, you guys can't see this, but I have a stack of yellow legal pads behind me right now. And he came in on like we were doing a video call and he had a stack of them. He's like, all right, you guys need to tell me everything. Tell me everything. He's like, you know, so we sat with him for hours in the early days. Like it was just a casual conversation. We told him everything we knew about brokerage, everything we liked, we didn't like, or didn't like, excuse me. And that was the early days with him. Like we used to email back and forth with him back in the early days. And then like, as the company grew, like, you know, there's more people in those positions, but he, I have nothing like he, he's great. Like he's a phenomenal person to, to, to talk to. I, I like, uh, honestly, in my honest opinion. Yeah. I, it, I mean, I, obviously I don't know him personally, but yeah, I've seen yeah. many interviews and, and know other people that have had, you know, interactions with him. and yeah. everybody has had nothing but great things to say about the guy and what yeah. he's done with XPO and kind of for sure know, through the past, because he been there about five, six, seven years now. No, nah, it's almost been 10. Like it was, we got acquired in 2012 by XPO. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's been, it's been almost 10 years now. And yeah, like, I don't know, like he probably doesn't even remember who I am, but at the same time though, when we were talking to him, he made you feel like you were the most important person. In the Only room, person which, in the room, right? Yeah. And no, I think, that, uh, yeah. That's one of the things we talk about in sales a lot, right? Like, how are you actually listening, right? Are you listening yeah. to respond? Are you listening because you're genuinely trying to understand the other person's point of view, or are you just waiting to say what you were going to say, Correct. regardless of what the other person <laughs> said anyway, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of sales reps out there who are just waiting to talk. They're not listening. They're just waiting to talk again. And yeah, it's uh, it, man, it's like, you really learn how to sell, I think in freight, you know, like it's one of the hardest sales out there. Like 
sales isn't easy across any board, but when you're selling nothing, because that's what you're doing as a freight broker, you're selling nothing at the end of the day. Yes, you might have technology, correct. But your technology does not own the assets that show up to the shippers. So you're selling nothing. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, at least in my experience, that's the way it's always been, man. And but like that's what I love. I love the challenge of freight because it's not easy. There's no two days that are the same. There's so many different obstacles that kind of come along with it. I mean, look at what's going on right now with the hurricane. How many hurricanes, blizzards, wildfires, and everything? Like that's just an SOP in freight. But mm-hmm. we figure it out. It's part of the job. It's yeah. just part of what's happening, whether it's the polar vortex, whether it's a hurricane, oh, whether it's wow. I mean, I shipped a lot of FEMA, FEMA freight. I yeah. managed a lot of what Crowley did back in the day. They supported, mm-hmm. I think they still do support all of the wildfires up through California. And like you said, I mean, it's just normal. Like the yeah. things that are chaos become part of just your day to day way you do business. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like I, like, I get offended when I see on the news right now that they try and say that the supply chain is broken. I would argue that the supply chain is as strong as you could ever possibly be. Because let's be honest, over the last, what are we, 18 months into this whole thing, everything that's been thrown at the supply chain, and there hasn't been a critical shortage of supplies on the shelves anywhere, mm-hmm. like remove the toilet paper fiasco from that. And there was still toilet paper to buy. It Do you just know what was interesting about that. Um, did you, have you heard why that actually occurred? I got oh, yeah. a pretty good explanation from that. I got a really pretty good explanation me. from a large retailer. Cause I went in there and I was talking to a guy. I'm like, Hey, listen, I work in freight. I'm like, you guys aren't actually out. Like, I know you're not, I know your distribution network. I've been in and out of your facilities a lot. It's like, no, no, no. We're limiting because of what we saw. We have plenty of supply. We just are controlling what people can actually purchase right now because of a lot of un- like it was just a lot of uncertainty overall at that time. They're like, we got plenty. Like we're just controlling what we have on the shelves right now. Mm-hmm. One of the other interesting things I, I had heard or read about was um, in the normal course of things, we tend as a country we tend to go to the bathroom seventy percent of the time at work or at a commercial building. And if you think about how the toilet paper is typically supplied mm-hmm. to commercial buildings, it's different packaging than retail. And the one gentleman I was talking to had said, once we switched, you know, to basically not leaving our houses, they had a ton of commercial supply, but not as much. So it's not that we necessarily use more. We just use the different type of product. But to your point, I think it's a great example. What we've gone through in the past two years, there hasn't been a critical shortage of anything. I mean, as a country, you go to the store, what you need is still there. Yes, there's inflation, but that's the whole point of a free market, right? When there is a shortage of something, sometimes the price is going to go up. When people aren't able to go out the way they normally do, there's not as many people working. That's going to drive prices up, but that doesn't mean it's broken in any regard. No, for sure. And it's like, you know, I think that they're over like, yeah, is there a backup at a port? Of course, there's backups at yeah. the port right now. But when you the, the largest manufacturing company in China was shut down for 35, 40 days last year, like they were shut down, shut down. Yeah. What did they think was going to happen? I think if anything, this just proves how much goods are produced in a daily basis and everything else. And then, you know, you, like I was uh, reading a report, uh, it was probably like three or four weeks ago about the Suez Canal when that when the ship was stuck, mm-hmm. like that, that, like that bottlenecked 12% of the global supply chain for those five days, 12%, like that's insane. 12%. So of course, we're going to be seeing this, but through time, through transportation, through this industry, it's a cycle every year. There's ups and there's downs, there's ebbs and there's flows. 
And as a transportation industry, as a bunch of freight nerds and freight professionals that are out here, we are kicking ass no matter what anybody says. We are, it's a normal day for us. And you might have to bleep that out. I don't know if swearing is allowed on the show, but I I just realized that that I just, (laughs) no, we're good. But I I think I agree. And I think that's a really good pivot because I want to ask you a little bit about when you were back, you were a carrier rep. Um, That's where you started, right? Yeah. I started out in carrier sales. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles um, newer brokerages face, obviously. Um, A lot of it's with the credit and it's just getting your name out there and some of those things we can chat about. But what are some strategies? And I know you you work with a lot of people, clients that are doing this, right? What are some of the things or some of the things you've learned from your experience doing it that you convey to the people you're working with now? Strategies for sourcing capacity in the market we're in now. Yeah. I mean, uh, first and foremost, I got to give a shout out to the people who trained me how to do this job back in the day. Like I, I was fortunate, man, that like there's some good old, good old boys and girls out of Gainesville, Georgia that trained me how to do carrier sales. And they trained me with the mindset that there's a truck for every load in America. It's your job as a broker to find it. Like, and I'm I'm a firm believer in that. It it doesn't matter what lane it is. Somebody out there is running it. Like that's not a new lane, like the most rural area to rural area. There's a truck that's that's running it every single day. It's just on us to find it. And my whole thing is, is as a broker, it's not your job to force freight onto carriers to take it. That's why they fall off. Like if they tell you I run Chicago to Kansas City, but you try and get them to take Chicago to Cleveland and they agree to it, what do you think they're looking for? Chicago to Kansas City freight. They're taking mm-hmm. that as a safety net load. So when they find that load, they're going to fall off. It doesn't matter the price. You know what I mean? So it's like, you need to take this information, Ben, that they're telling you, like actually sell to a carrier, find out what they need, find out what they want, what days of the week they're available, and then do a capacity-based sales approach. Because last time I checked, your technology is meaningless if your trucks don't show up, you know? So let's find out what they want to run and sell based on that. Well, what you just said, right? And and if you boil it down to its most simplest, right? It's the basic premise of sales. That's why they're called carrier sales rep because yeah. it is a sell to the carriers. And one of the things I think most people new in the industry miss, don't do it all, don't think it's necessary is to ask questions, right? To try 100%. to understand what is this dispatcher? Where's this carrier looking to go? What are the lanes that they are looking for? And what do they want to run and why? Right. Yeah. Let's not forget their. Yeah, exactly. Let's not forget that they're people too. Like Mm -hmm. have a conversation with them and find out exactly what they like. Cause here's the thing. If they don't know what their business plan is, guess what? You don't want them holding your customers freight anyways, you know? So I just think that so many people are, uh, and I think that this last market turn really exposed a lot of it, Ben, is there was a lot of carrier posting reps out there. There wasn't a lot of carrier sales reps because, the brokerages that I speak to and the brokerages that I've worked with, the ones that have a heavy em- emphasis on carrier relationships, they didn't really see that much of a, a wrench in it. They at did all. And I totally they, agree with you. Yeah. Well, our and clients are like, the same thing. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Like, I, I know it's not easy. All right. I know building a book of business on the carrier side and the customer side is not easy, but it's not hard either at the end of the day. And it, you know, it boils down to it. Like if you're working with customers that aren't willing to pay accessorials because if a driver has to, like, it's not our job to pay for anybody's inefficiencies. And I think we can all understand that things happen. You show up to a shipper, there's a backup. They had a staff shortage or something like that. Hey, cool. 99% of the customers out there be like, listen, we're going to compensate your driver for your time. And then you pass that along. You don't turn that into a profit center as a broker because 
if a driver is sitting out there waiting for eight hours to get paid, why are you making money on that? You know, I like the, I, I honestly want to, I want to know the, I want to know the argument. I want to know the argument from a broker that says that they deserve to make money off of that. I think because the argument's it, greed for the most part. Oh, 100%, I think of that's literally the only motivation. I don't think yeah. there's a lot of ethics in it because I think people treat, I don't, it's a generalization, but I think a lot of brokers treat carries as if they're disposable or as if they're a like, commodity. Yes. Yeah. They treat them as a commodity. And I get it because you are treated as a commodity in some ways when you're trying to prospect, right? Because yeah. from the shipper side, that's the way that they're going to perceive it. And it's easy to kind of fall into that. But the reality is, is I've always felt, and I'm sure I can imagine you would agree that like without the carriers, you literally have no business. Correct. And it's probably the most important part. Yes, the dollars start from the shippers and flow downhill to the carriers. But at the end of the day, the carriers are the most important part of the business. Yes. I, you know, the way that I see it, there's 10,000 pieces in the supply chain and then the the 10,000 piece puzzle and they all need to connect. But the drivers are the one middle piece that throws off the entire flow of the puzzle if they're not a part of it. And, you know, my, my whole thing is, Ben is we like, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try and put myself on a pedestal that I was never doing any of that shit. Cause I like, of course I did. Of course I was that shady broker at times, but I got slapped with reality enough to be like, all right, I got to stop this because I'm sick and tired of recovering loads. I'm sick and tired of doing this. I'm sick and tired of lying to my shippers and my customers and going back and forth and all this bullshit. And when I said, I'm done, I'm done operating this way. This is the way I'm going to go on from then on. It's amazing how easy freight brokerage gets. I, and I think that's a really good point. And I've seen this as much as you have. I mean, we both had the fortune of being able to work around a lot of people. And I yeah. think the benefit is that is you get to see the good, the bad, the middle and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Right. And you see the guys that don't necessarily guys and gals, right. That don't necessarily operate ethically. In fact, yeah. we're clearly unethical. Right. And we've yeah. all met them. We've they're in every industry. It's not just this one, yeah. but what I learned, and, and I'm curious to see the, your point on this, is that like, it seemed like they always had to work more. Like they Correct. thought there was a shortcut where they're like, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to pay the carrier's detention. I'm going to book the extra margin and it feels like a huge win. Right. Yeah. And they're like, I won today. Right. But the reality is, is one, that carrier's never going to deal with you again. Also, they're likely going to cause you issues that you have to deal with on the invoicing side. They're not just going to go away. They're going to start uh-huh. trying to invoice you for the detention. Then you've got to stop doing what you're doing to go and deal with that. Then you've got yeah. to go back. Plus, you don't have the carrier available to ever run a load for you again, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just poor business to begin with. It's like that saying, like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? Like it's so yes. short-sighted that you don't realize you're making your job harder and even in the short run in some cases. Uh-huh. I want to ask everybody out there who's listening to this right now, how you'd handle this conversation. Your customer pays you detention. You tell the driver you're not getting anything because you want to profit a couple hundred bucks on this. How are you going to handle it when the driver calls the shipper and says, I need detention? And they say, well, wait a second. We paid you on that. Mm -hmm. Now your customer who you spent months prospecting is going to question how ethical you are. I want you to ask how you're going to handle that situation with it. Cause, cause I've been in that. Yeah. I, that's why it was that exact situation, Ben. How did you I, handle it? I said, fuck it. I'm like, listen, I'm going to pay him. Don't worry. Like there was just a miscommunication, you know, like, uh, like I blah, blah, but, blah. Uh, but, yeah. but they knew, they knew I was lying. Yeah. They knew I was lying because the carrier fucking sent them the check. Yeah. They literally sent them the check. 
a screenshot of the check that we didn't pay them, you know? And the customer knew then and there, they're like, listen, um, we know you're lying, never again. And I'm like, yep, loud and clear. Like they knew I was lying the whole fucking time. It was just like the, man, there's so many situations like that. That's why brokers get a bad rap out there. You know, honestly, we get a bad rap for a lot of reasons. That's one of them right there. And, you know, absolutely. And I just think like, once you prove yourself though, like if you can stop with the shady antics, if you can get away from that and you can operate ethically and honestly, you will make more money as a broker than you ever thought was humanly possible. And once you do that, you're going to never want to go back. You can fucking sleep at night. You know, you can sleep at night when you get ahead of issues. You know, if your driver's running five hours late, tell your fucking shipper or receiver that the driver's running late. Why wait? Why have them reach out to you? Well, Nate, Nate always says this, and I love this saying. It's like bad bad news is best given early and often if you have to. Like as soon as you're aware, you get it out to whoever needs to know it. Bite the bullet because it's you. Here's the other interesting thing that I, I found in this industry is that when those things happen to me, like the really, really what I felt were like, almost like, you know, you were going to lose the customer, right? Like it was yeah. an important load. You had the truck, your check calling them, you're doing everything you can, you know, it's like their highest priority. And then the truck like genuinely lies to you. Right. And then you get caught in that. And they're like, well, Hey, this, you vetted this carrier. You're telling us yep. you're reliable. And you genuinely think like you're going to lose the customer. The interesting thing for me was when I look back at those handful of times that I thought like I was going to lose that relationship the fact that I was honest about what I was going through, even though I thought it meant I was going to lose the customer because it felt to me like I didn't have a handle on my carriers. But the reality was when you're genuine about it and when you're telling the truth, like that comes across. And those are the moments that really turned probably an average customer into a customer for life with me because they knew at the other side, yes, they still weren't happy, but they knew that I was still doing everything to fix it. They could probably hear that I was frantically trying to fix it and doing everything I could. And it really like endears you with that other person because you're both going through this like turmoil together. And on the other end, you end up making more money because they do trust you later. They don't beat you over the heads with their target rates. They trust you and they go, Hey, get me a reasonable rate and a good truck next time. And I'm good with it. And that's yeah. where you're always trying to get to with your customers. Any of those ring any bells? You remember any of those in your career? I'm sure you had to have a few. Too many, too many to count, man. And, and that's the thing, again, when it boils down to it, I know this is easier said than done. It's easier for both of us to say this right now because we don't have a shipper breathing down our neck about something. But I just know that the times that I just got it, like when I finally said, fuck it, I'm done with the BS and was just like, hey, listen, we're failing on this load. This is what's going on. We're going to work on it. I just want to give you a heads up now. Uh, I know the load's going to pick up in two hours, but we don't have a truck on it right now. I know this is a critical shipment for you. If you have to put it out there in the network, go for it. We are working on it. I'm not giving it back. I will lose as much as I have to to get this load covered, but this is what we're facing. The sigh of relief that you would get from shippers and your customers in those scenarios was almost all the time. Like, mm-hmm. wait, really? You're, you're letting us know now? Yeah, I am letting you know now because I respect you. And I like, and I started to ask myself, how would I want to receive that information? If I was a transportation manager and I had 10,000 shipments moving a year, how would I want to receive that a couple of them are messed up and running late? Would I want to know all the details, whether I liked them or not? Yes, because I can work with that. Okay. Yes. I can work with that. I Because anybody who's been in this industry for more than five minutes knows 
that there's delays, there's breakdowns, things happen. You know, if a carrier falls off because they're not getting offloaded in time, okay, that's a reasonable thing that happens, you know? And if you're, if you're a good broker, you know about that hours prior, you're not waiting until 45 minutes before a load's supposed to pick Should up. Should be checked call. on your truck on the way there. Correct. Sure. Exactly. So it's yep. like any broker out there, I want you to ask yourself, what could you do differently? You know, if you waited, if you waited until five minutes before pickup to call the carrier you assigned on the load, that's on you. It's not on the carrier. It's your and that's job. the way the shipper feels about it. And like, Correct. I've heard those, I've been involved with them. I, as a manager, had to get on some of those phone calls with people that were, you know, as a manager, you have to get on and sometimes handle that irate shipper. And that's what they all say. Look, yep. this stuff happens. You know, most of them have been in the industry more than a few years. They know the constant in transportation yeah. is that things are going wrong. The thing that isn't constant is the fact that they don't either get that information when they need to get it. Like you yes. said, hours before when they could still do something like notify their customer that yeah. it may be delayed so they can save face. Because yeah. once you're at the appointment and you still don't have a truck and then you tell them, it certainly didn't get better for them or exactly. you as the broker. Exactly. I, I, I don't see. Yeah. Again, I've learned. I've learned the hard way. And if you're out there saying like, oh, this guy's full of shit, just wait. It'll, it'll come to your lap and you're going to be like, fuck, I should have done that differently. Well, and I think one of the upsides to what maybe sounds like some negative things that we've been discussing through this episode is that like these may seem like negatives, but if you are the one operating ethically and above board, these are the opportunities that will be mm -hmm. created as wow. long as you're putting the activity out there. If you're making the calls, if you're sending the emails and you're following up and genuinely building rapport, the other brokers they're working with will drop the ball. And they may be their ethical too, but you will get a shot because of that. Exactly what we're discussing. Like these are where the opportunities come from to get your foot in the door because everybody has these. Everybody's yeah. going to have a truck that can't pick up now and then. And these are the opportunities you can position yourself to get in front of, I think. 100%. Every time there's a little bit of turmoil, there's an opportunity in there. It just depends on how you handle it. And that's the thing, like truck showing up on time is the expectation. Congratulations. That's not a value add at all. Um, the value add comes in when things fall apart. And if you're a true partner or not, or if you fucking quiver and run away and don't answer your phone or your emails, you're done. Yeah. Why would they work dark. with you? Wouldn't either. Yeah. Well, we got some good Q&A, but first, right. uh, second word from our sponsor, Lean Solutions. If you are looking for capacity or you're looking to hire or recruit this year, a great nearshore solution is Lean Solutions Group based out of Columbia. Trey Griggs and the team over there have done great. I know they are, I think, almost at 5,000 um, hires. I mean, they've been doing a great job. Everyone we know that uses them has nothing but great things to say. They built our new website for us. They're handling a lot of our outsourcing too. So if you're looking for more capacity or more bodies to put in seats to help with operations, give them a ring. What I'd like to jump into right now is some Q&A and get some of your thoughts on some listener questions we got for this episode. So uh -oh. first one I have is, <laughs> what is the best commodity to prospect this time of year? If you were back in the broker seat, and you had to sit down and put together a prospecting list, middle of August, you know what's going on in the industry right now. Where would you go? Which, what would you prospect? At this point in my career, I'm only sticking with heavy haul and overdimensional. So that might not be a good <laughs> question for your point. You're, that's your niche. That's the that's one you've established. Um, if you're new, it, depending on experience, like 
and this isn't a knock on anybody's experience. If you're, if you want to get into the heavy haul niche, do your research, research your state laws and everything else and, and educate yourself because they like those shippers and carriers will just chew you up and spit you out. If you know what you're talking about. Um, if I was newer to the industry and I was just trying to get my feet wet in it, mm-hmm. I think I would look at, you know, for me, food is always good. Like reefer food is always good. There's always stuff like that moving, but I would just choose a commodity, choose one commodity and double down on that and just become the absolute best of that because people oversell how much freight or undersell, excuse me, how much freight there really is out there. And they want you to only go after, you know, like call all over the place. Like, don't get me wrong. I can quote any lane in America too. Like, cause that's the biggest pushback I get. Like, oh, I can quote anything. Yeah. I can fucking add the miles and multiply it by times it by nine and provide a rate too. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. I'm going to win it. But I just think like, that's where you have to have a different conversation with your prospects and your shippers because you're a subject matter expert at that point. And they can't deny that. They can't deny if you cold call them and you know, based on that commodity, it has to be tempted this, this is the cleanup procedures. This is the, um, if it's hazmat, this is the procedures that you need for cleanups and everything else. Like you can have a different conversation at that point. Yeah. And we're huge advocates of, you know, either finding a niche or becoming an expert in what it is you're going after because mm-hmm. a jack of all trades tends to be a master of none, right? Like it's the people that are like, I can take anything, right? We handle all the vans, any of the reefers, anything you need. Well, literally, and it's like, okay, but, and Nate always says, are you any good at it though? Like, yeah. because anybody can just throw a post up, say they can get you a truck. But the reality is, is are you understanding their security requirements? Are you understanding their PP&E? If you're moving flatbeds, do you understand yep. how to secure a load? Do you understand the lingo in regards to it? Because they can hear that a mile away, whether or not you know what you're talking about. 100%. And, and I think like there's nothing wrong with letting your customer know the truth. Like, hey, listen, that's not an area we generally move for. I can work on it. I will gladly provide you a price. Yep. Um, when I find a truck though, like I don't have anybody in my back pocket out there. And another thing, that's just another telltale sign. If you're going to BS them or not in the heat of the moment, if you just say, yep, send it on over, I'll take care of it. Blah, 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 blah. Come on, get out of here. Like I've just, I've dealt with too many fucking fall offs and load failures, man. I just don't buy into that. Like you need, I'm never going to say turn away business, but it's about how you position yourself when you get that business is what is critical or not. I think, yeah, and you're right. It's the thing we've talked a lot about in this episode, just being honest, being forthright at what you're good at and yeah. let them know, hey, this isn't an area where we necessarily do a ton of volume, but hey, we will absolutely put our best foot forward. We mm-hmm. will do what we can and we can provide options. Yeah. Hey, if these work for you, great. If not, hey, no harm, no foul, but we're willing to put our best foot forward. Yes. is more than enough to get that across. So here are our second question we have. How many carriers should I build relationships with before I start prospecting shippers? So obviously a very, very green question. Somebody that's just getting into the industry, they've built some relationships with carriers. They want to know, you've built carrier bases. You've built them for large companies and some smaller companies. What, What is a decent number? Or is there any number at all that you should establish before you start working on getting shippers? I think it's, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg argument when it comes down to that, because you can't establish relationships with carriers if you don't have freight. Yep. And, but my, my whole thing is, is again, and this is why I'm always about that niche is you're going to be a lot easier to identify carriers when you know what area you're moving in. And, you know, like here's the thing, rest assured to anybody out there who's prospecting and you're new to this industry. If a customer tells you, you got to provide a price right now for a lane 
that you're just cold calling up, like that's a red flag. Like it's you're, by the time you get to that point, you're going to have some ideas. So the way that like a real shipper that you're going to want to work with long-term, you're going to be prospecting them for probably two months. Like, let's be honest, yeah. maybe at the yeah. low end 30 days and you've talked to them three or four times, you've had some conversations with them. You have a general idea of your freight mix. So again, the definition of prospecting, I don't know what the Webster's definition is of it directly, but the definition of prospecting is exploring, is extracting stuff. So mm-hmm. while you're extracting this information, that's when you're out there building up a carrier base. You're, it's, it's hand in hand. You're getting the information like, yeah, you know what? We're based out of Atlanta, Georgia. We have freight that goes into Tennessee. We have freight that goes up to Indiana. All right, boom, I'm writing all that stuff down. Then I'm going to start posting that. Here's the commodity. Here's the freight. Let's start extracting this stuff because then when a carrier calls in, it's very um, honest of you just be like, hey, listen, my customer that I'm working with right now, they're going to have the shipment next week. I'm trying to drum up some interest. Obviously, if I post it for next week, no one's going to call. So that's why I'm doing it today. When are you available? What days of the week are you available? Is this a lane you run often? That's when you can pair it hand in hand with each other to build up a carrier base with a customer base, and then you're able to execute upon that. Absolutely. I think it's a little column A, little column B. Without the freight, you really can't build much of a Mm -hmm. carrier base, but you need some carrier base. And that's the best way you go about it. Like you're prospecting, you're asking questions, you're getting information. Call some of the carriers regionally as well. Post some of the loads up, be honest, be forthright, be like, hey, we're looking for some rates. And just like you said, most carriers tend to run consistently the same areas every week. They'll give you a good idea on what they've been seeing rate-wise and whether or not they might be a good fit moving forward. Exactly. They're not going to chew you out. Like a lot of the carriers, like I don't know, carriers get a bad rap. There's a lot of hardworking salt of the earth people that, you know, if you don't have anything where they hang up, so what? Like move yeah. on. <laughs> That's what it is. It's part of the business, right? Exactly. Um, third question we have is, is there a script that either of you use when prospecting? Well, let me no. ask you this. Have you ever used a script though? I did early on, but again, that comes across as unauthentic. In, in it. And it's just a, like, I like, okay, you need a script to practice on to start, but don't read off of it when you're doing your sales pitch, like practice it before, get your bare bones basics down, but your sales conversation needs to be as real as possible. You need to just talk to them like they're a human being. Don't like, I mean, I can't have a sales voice. Like here, like, honestly, it's like, Hey, this is Chris. No, that sounds ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hi, my name's Chris Jolly. I work with, you know, ABC brokerage. I'm here to talk to you about obviously, you know, your freight or, you know, something along those lines where if you're putting it together for the first time, identify yourself. They know why you're calling as soon as you say so-and-so logistics. They're like, all right, then here's another broker. Mm-hmm. So again, you're prospecting, you're finding out information about their company. I agree in a script to a point, but do not read off of it. If you're looking for scripted questions and like, again, it's, you just got to roll with the flow because I've had some very talkative prospects and I've had some very short prospects where there's like, yep, nope, yep, nope, mm-hmm. click. <laughs> Hang on. And everywhere in between, right? And yeah. I, same thing. I am not an advocate of scripts at all as it relates to kind of transportation, mostly because there's so many different types of customers. They Mm -hmm. operate differently. They're different human beings. They're in different parts of the country. You speak to somebody in the Northeast or in around New York, you're going to speak faster. If you're going to be speaking with somebody in the South, they tend, yeah, like (laughs) there are very big differences in regards to where in the country, there are different people everywhere. And I think the biggest tool is not a script. It's your ears, right? God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionately. 
listen to what they're saying, extract, as you'd said, as much information as you can. And don't be afraid to tell them if they want you to start quoting or moving a lane and you don't know them or understand their business yet, tell them you're not comfortable yet and tell them why they'll respect that way more than you telling them you're going to be able to do something that you have no idea, or maybe you're still confused about. Yeah. Ask more questions, tell them, Hey, you know, I've only talked to you once or twice. This looks like a lane we can help you on. Let me put some time into this and come back to you in an hour yeah. and then have a better conversation. Of course. Well, I think we covered quite a bit on here. Definitely oh, yeah. going to have to have you on when Nate's back <laughs> on here. Any final thoughts before we kind of cut? Uh, you know, honestly, I just think like this industry is extremely cyclical. All right. At the end of the day, if this is your, if you're in it right now and you're new, uh, this is normal, you know, like don't let anybody tell you that cycles don't happen. There's ups, there's downs, there's carriers markets, there's broker markets there's shipper markets, everything in between, you know, and at the end of the day, you just got to show up. There's an opportunity in any market. Don't let anybody bullshit you. Okay. People are failing on loads, whether it's a good market or not. And guess what? There's an opportunity for you, but your customers and prospects will not find you. You have to find them, get out of your comfort zone, get comfortable with no. And if somebody hangs up on you or berates you on the phone, who gives a shit? They're a complete stranger who you're never going to see in real life. And guess what? If you do see them in real life, they do not act that way at mm-hmm. all. So yeah. roll not taking that. it personally, right? Yeah. Like a duck, man. Let the water fall off your back. Which, by the way, is one of the biggest reasons I don't suggest anybody ever prospecting with their cell phone. I feel like there's a disconnect when you have an actual phone that like, to me, I realize like that's the work, like they can't yep. reach back to you and you don't need to take it personally. There is that mm-hmm. little barrier. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And uh, kind of to wrap things up, remember whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.